Hi. Uh, so remember, you're trying to get wet every day this week. Um, one thing you can do is you can do like a target practice with a hose or a water gun and set up like empty cans or uh, hang something from a tree, like Robin Hood style, um, try to get it through a hula hoop, uh, and just shoot either with the hose or with the water gun and uh, see how far away you can be and still hit your target accurately. Um, you could also do that with water balloons and just try tossing them. Um, oh, another thing you could do is you could fill up a water balloon uh, and put it in the freezer so then you have like an ice ball and use that to throw. Uh, and today we are in chapter 12, Jane's Grand Gesture. Sky burst out through the big front doors of Wildwood Elementary School, looking around frantically. She was searching for Jane. There were dozens of people swarming around, but no Jane. Where was she? Where? Where? Skye had to find her immediately and kill her. See you tomorrow, Skye! That was her friend, Genevieve, waving from the school bus as it pulled away. Skye waved back, but without enthusiasm. She wondered if she would ever be enthusiastic again. Hey, Penderwick, race you to the end of the parking lot. Pearson, who sat across from her in Mr. Grabell's class, punched her on the arm. No, she said, punching him back. She'd never turned down a race before, but she wanted nothing more to do with Pearson today. Now, here came Melissa Patinod. Sky looked through her as though she were invisible. Maybe if she was invisible, she wouldn't be able to talk but no such luck. Congratulations, Skye, said Melissa. I'm sure you'll do well. Thanks, muttered Skye. After she murdered Jane, she would murder Melissa. A person could only be sent to prison once, and prison might not be as bad as what she was facing now. Finally, here came Jane, strolling out of the school with a group of her friends. Skye was beside her in a flash taking her firmly by the arm and steering her away from the others. Ouch, said Jane. Unhand me, you minion. Minion yourself, said Skye. We have to talk. Skye went right, white and dropped her backpack. What's wrong? Is Daddy okay? Batty? Everyone's fine, except me. I'm not at all fine. My teacher assigned parts in your play today. Guess who's going to be Rainbow? Kelsey. No. Isabel. Maya. No, Jane. Think awful. Really awful. Don't tell me Melissa got the starring part. No. She's going to be Grassflower. That's okay, I guess, since Grassflower is kind of a jerk. Though I'd rather Melissa never utter any words of mine, even the jerky characters. Jane thought. Well, who then? Me. Now all was horrifyingly clear to Jane. Skye, as courageous as anyone when it came to physical deeds of daring do, was terrified of being on stage. A scarring experience in first grade, a hula skirt that fell down during a skit about Hawaii, had set her against performing the rest of her life. Did you explain to Mr. Gabell? I tried, but he thought I was just shy about being in a play I wrote. I couldn't explain to him that I didn't care about that since you wrote it. And by the way, Skye turned ferociously on her younger sister. Guess who's going to be Coyote? Pearson. Oh, he'll be good. 
Jane, who cares how good he'll be? Remember all those speeches about undying love and romance? I'll have to say them to him. What the heck were you thinking? I wasn't thinking that you were going to have to say them to Pearson. I wasn't thinking you would have to say them at all. You're the last person I'd choose for the part, Jane said. The truth was, when she wrote Sisters in Sacrifice, she imagined herself as Rainbow. It was a glorious role. What am I going to do? I don't know if I can memorize all that stuff about maze and self-denial. If it were primary numbers or geometry, I've memorized lots of geometry. Listen, if two lines are cut by a transversal and... What? It's gone! The stress has ruined my brain! Calm down. The bus line is starting. Oh, the bus line is staring. Sorry. By the bus line, Jane met Melissa, who was not only staring at them, but trying to listen, too. I could break my leg. That's the solution, Jane. I'll accidentally, on purpose, fall off the garage roof and break my leg. They can't force me to be in a play with a broken leg, can they? No, but you can't play soccer with a broken leg either. Then how about pneumonia or malaria or turbulocus? Sorry. Tuberculosis. Sorry, friends. I forgot how to say that word for a minute. Then how about pneumonia or malaria or tuberculosis? Same problem. It wrung Jane's heart to see her brave sister brought so low. Won't be that bad, Sky. I'll help you memorize the lines. Come on, let's go home. Sky allowed herself to be led home, all the while calculating how many people would be in the audience for sixth grade performance night. Since all of the sixth graders would be involved in one way or another, all of their families would come, which meant, well, 26 students in each of the four sixth grade classes. And if at least two, well, probably three family members came for each student, plus all the teachers, plus various fifth graders, 400 people, she said in sepulchral tones. At least 400 people will watch me make a fool out of myself. Four hundred, Jane repeated, but her tone was not sepulchral, for not until now had she realized how many people would see her play performed. It was intoxicating. It's nauseating, and Skye did look a little sick at the idea, and when they got home, she went right in through the front door and upstairs. Four hundred, said Jane again following her sister into the house, lost in the vision of the Wildwood Elementary School Auditorium with its real stage with wings and flies and a huge billowing curtain. The 400 people in the audience were applauding wildly and there was Jane herself on the stage, taking the author's bow, holding a huge bouquet of roses, no, being pelted with roses from the audience. Maybe first graders could do the pelting, while humbly, rats, she said, stopping herself. She wouldn't be taking the author's bow. 
Sky would be doing it. And worse, not even enjoying it. Oh well. There would be other plays and other triumphs. And as for now, she was hungry. She went into the kitchen where Rosalind and Anna were doing their Latin homework. Qui, qua, quad, said Rosalind. Cuis, cuis, cuis. Qui, 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 said Anna. Quem, quam, quad. Not quad, quod. Jane, you're last in. Call Daddy. Are you sure? Anna looked down at her textbook. You're right. Quod. Let me start over. Jane took a box of raisins from the counter for a snack and then called her father at the university. He didn't answer his phone, but she left a message that all his daughters were home safe, which she doubted he could hear with all the Latin chanting in the background. She hung up and had started to wander off when the Latin stopped and a familiar name caught her ear. What did you say? She asked Anna. That Trilby Ramirez is all whacked out over Tommy. Anna saw the confused look on Jane's face and explained. They were together at the autumn extravaganza on Saturday night. Rumor has it that Tommy even danced with her. We didn't know Tommy could dance. Plural, said Rosalind. Qui, que, que, quorum, quorum, quorum. I don't understand, interrupted Jane. Rosalind, it's you he adores and wants for a girlfriend, not somebody named Trilby. He doesn't want me for a girlfriend, and if he did, he couldn't anyway. Rosalind sniffed at the idea. No one can for years and years, and even then, it won't be Tommy. Still, why Trilby, asked Anna. She's about as smart as concrete, and she's a wimp, too. There's a spider in the girls' locker room, and she practically passed out. I heard it was a large spider, said Rosalind calmly. Quibis, quibis, quibis. Don't you care? asked Jane. She was shocked at this display of indifference. Why, if she were old enough, and Tommy looked at her the way he looked at Rosalind, she would never let him date someone named Trilby. Why should I? Quoth, qua, que, quibis, quibis, quibis. Anna, let's go again. Qui, que, quod, cuis. And Jane went upstairs, thinking that there certainly was a lot of trouble with dating in the Penderwick house. When she got to her room and fi- found Skye's copy of Sisters in Sacrifice dumped on the floor, and no Skye, she sighed. There was a lot of trouble, period, in the house. She looked out the window, and yes, there was Sky at the roof, staring glumly at the clouds through her binoculars. May I come out? Sky nodded, and Jane climbed out gingerly and settled herself. Next door, two faces in odd glasses were staring at her from an upstairs window. She waved, and Ben waved back, but Batty disappeared, and then Ben disappeared, as though Batty had yanked him out of sight too. Ah, to be young and feckless again, thought Jane. Feckless was one of her favorite words lately. She even managed to work it into Sisters in Sacrifice. Did you get to the place where Rainbow calls grass flower feckless, she asked Skye. That's a good line, right? Skye put down her binoculars. It doesn't matter whether the lines are good. I can't memorize them. And even if I could, I can't act at all. We read the first few scenes out loud and I was terrible. Maybe I could coach you. Suddenly, Jane saw herself as a director. 
She could wear a slouchy hat and have her own chair and a script scribbled all over with notes. Maybe she could even skip her science class to do it, if the schedule worked out right. Please let me, Skye. It'll be fun. Fun, like in fungus, said Skye. But after much pleading from Jane, she consented to climb back into the bedroom and pick up the script. After all, she figured, Jane couldn't possibly make her worse than she already was. The next half hour was painful for both sisters. So flat, without feeling her expression, with Skye's reading, that Jane began to doubt her own writing. She tried some rewriting, hoping to find words that would bring a spark to Skye's delivery. But then that just frustrated Skye more. She swore she'd never be able to learn the lines if Jane kept changing them. Desperate now, Jane drew Aztec-ish lines on Skye's face with wet-colored pencils, thinking stage makeup would help her. After that, she did manage to put feeling into one line. You forget, sister, how good I am with the bow and knife. That's too much feeling, said Jane. You sound violent. I'm feeling violent. But Skye, in this scene, I hate this play. Hate it, hate it. Skye threw her script to the floor and would probably have stomped on it too, if just then their father hadn't called them to come downstairs. He was home from work and had some news. The girls felt there'd been enough news lately and agreed that if it was more dating news, they didn't want to hear it. However, as the play rehearsal was clearly over, they wiped the Aztec marks off Skye's face and went down to the kitchen. Anna had gone and Rosalind had fetched Batty from next door. So it was the four sisters who gathered around the table while their father took off his jacket and sat down with him. Churchy called me at the office this afternoon. It definitely wasn't about dating, for Churchy was Mrs. Churchill, who, as housekeeper at Arundel, had practically brought Geoffrey up. The Penderwicks had gotten to know and love her that past summer, and now everyone started firing off questions. Was there trouble? Was Geoffrey all right? Was Churchy all right? How about Cagney? Mr. Penderwick held up his hand for quiet. Everyone's fine. Churchy called because she's going to Boston this weekend to visit Geoffrey. She'll be staying overnight at her daughter's house, and as there's room for an extra person, she's invited one of you to go along. A clamor broke out once more as all the sisters loudly asked which one of them was going. Mr. Penderwick put his hands over his ears. When the kitchen was quiet again, he said, Churchy is letting us decide who goes. Now, Batty, I'm not going to insist that you're too young. I'm not, but I will mention that Hound is not allowed to go along. Oh, said Batty. One down, said Skye. Anyone else not interested, asked Mr. Penwick. Rosalind, how's your homework situation? She winced. I'd love to go, but I have a lot of assignments due next week. Chew down, said Jane breathlessly. Skye, I'll duel you for it. There's no need for dueling, said Mr. Penwick. Churchy said that there will be more visits like this, and you'll all get a turn eventually. Eventually. Skye thought that was a terrible word. Well, if not dueling, then what? Hound, draw for order, said Mr. Penderwick. First pick goes to Boston. But he never picks me first. Skye leaned down to look under the table at Hound, who looked back with a guilty expression on his face. Sure he does, said Rosalind, and started the preparations. No, he never does, Skye insisted to Jane. 
It's a statistical anomaly. Jane didn't know anything about statistical anomalies, but she agreed that hounds seemed never to go first to the piece of paper marked Sky. She wished she could assure Sky that this time would be different, but she wanted too much that it wouldn't be different, because then she would be the one visiting Boston. In a moment, all was ready. There were two pieces of paper, each with one name on it, and folded so no one could read it, and several chunks of dog biscuit, all mixed together in a bowl. Rosalind dumped the whole mess on the floor, and Batty gave Hound an encouraging push. And when he headed for the biscuits, everyone watched desperately, until his big nose bumped into one of the slips of paper. The winner, cried Jane, scooping it up from the floor and waving it exuberantly. The goer to Boston, the boon companion of Geoffrey and Churchy, the luckiest, most fabulous. Read it, shouted Skye. Ah, yes. Jane flourished the slip of paper once more, doing imaginary spells over it, then slowly unfolded it, read it, and smiled. The right name was on the paper, and she would not have to wait for eventually. But before she read the name out loud, she looked up, and the first thing she saw was Skye's face, so anxious, so hopeful, with a faint trace of green Aztec makeup on her cheek. At the sight of that bit of green, only a smidgen really, one of Rainbow's lines came to Jane, all unbidden. I will spill my blood to bring the rain, to grow the maize, to feed our people. What a tragically beautiful line that is, she thought. And before she knew what she was doing, sky, she said, hound picked sky. Immediately, sky was aglow with joy hugging everyone, even Hound, even Batty. In all the hugging, no one noticed when Jane left the kitchen. Especially Skye didn't notice, for she had to call Jeffrey to tell him the good news, then call Churchy to thank her for the invitation, then call her soccer coach, for this meant she'd be missing the game on Saturday. And no dodging homework, said her father, after all the calls had been made. Perhaps you should start getting ahead now. Even the idea of getting ahead in homework couldn't dampen her spirits. She ran upstairs two steps at a time, burst into her room, and pulled up short. Jane was cleaning. Already she'd made her bed, and now she was dusting her desk. This was bad. For Jane, cleaning was worse even than crying. Skye could have kicked herself. She'd been so happy that she hadn't given a thought to Jane's disappointment. I'm sorry it's me, and not you going, she said. I don't mind, answered Jane, dusting vigorously. I'll get to visit Jeffrey eventually. Eventually truly was a terrible word. Poor Jane. Sky wanted to make it up to her. And I'm sorry I said those things about your play earlier. I didn't mean them. Really? The dust rag slowed down a bit. All of your comments have been helpful. So I was thinking... Skye summoned up as much enthusiasm as she could manage. I'd like to have my lines memorized before I go to Boston. That gives us five days to get in a lot of practice. That is, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Sabrina Starr never shirks her duty. Because it really is a good play. It's just me that's bad. I know, said Jane. 
letting the dust rag fall unheeded to the floor. Let's get to work.